They already killed the professor. They broke both Paul's arms, and they violated the captain. So how long are we going to end up running before we stand up and fight? And how long after fighting until we start to run from what some filmmakers have done after being inspired by H.P. Lovecraft? Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I am Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be talking about 2009's The Last Lovecraft, Relic of Cthulhu, written by and co-starring Dev McGinn and directed by Henry Sane. Um, you're just talking off mic. This is very much of its time, 2009, uh, digital, uh, low budget. It made its world premiere at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in October of 2009 and then um, premiered, uh, well, not premiered because it already premiered, but then also played in right. Slamdance in January 2010. And yeah, this is a, this is very much a slam dance movie, digital, low budget, like low budget, and yeah. also you know, um, not really serious, not like taking itself too seriously. Um, it, it, you know, James, you had mentioned trauma. Mm -hmm. It kind of it feels a little bit like a trauma film, at least in the sense of like, hey, a genre and it's uh, like slapstick and kind of funny. Assuming you find any of this funny, which is certainly. <laughs> different conversation to have right right um this is your second time seeing uh the last lovecraft relic of cthulhu yeah uh, yeah how um, how is how has your experience changed between then and now well it's funny um, it's kind of kind of perfect timing for us for this uh review because mm -hmm. uh yeah the, the original time i i did it was back in 2011 um <laughs> when it came out on dvd okay yeah, um march 24th which is Corinne's birthday, which was yesterday. Yesterday, um, yeah, of course. So 12, 12 years ago to the day, I I put this up on Criterion Cats back when I actually used to write stuff. <laughs> and looking over it and, you know, kind of like looking at some things I wrote about it, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan. Um, mm -hmm. It was like to me like a shame, like basically what I, long story short, I kind of said I wish this, was a better film because it has the had the potential, you know, like a good like horror comedy that also has to deal with Lovecraft and its world and everything yep. about it could work really well. And and we've seen certain films do that in some way, but not like like I probably the closest thing would be like Reanimator, I guess, would be like horror comedy, like I guess mm. you could say because it, you know, tongue firmly you know in cheek um pressing against it but this one uh i was kind of like comparing it to films that to me were better at the time like jack brooks monster slayer or monster mm -hmm. hunter whichever one it was and my name is bruce the uh bruce uh campbell like oh it's bruce campbell but he actually does fight monsters type of movie yeah um yeah Basically, I was like, if you want a good horror comedy, stay with something like Shaun of the Dead. Uh, don't watch this one. You'll, you know, I gave it a three out of ten. Okay, so <laughs> you know, flash forward while watching it, and I actually watched it with with Corinne just to see. And um, it wasn't much better. Um, I saw, you know, like like you know, and and look, it's nothing against the budget. Because we've seen some stuff that's much less budget than this. Sure. You know, like this, at least like some of the, some of the practical stuff, like, you know, look pretty good. Like the, the main evil guy, um, 
his mat, you know, his monster the, the, makeup. The star, the star spawn. The star spawn. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Very, very known, big time in the uh, Lovecraftian stuff. And what's funny is even the, even the cover of the of the movie, you know, like that's been used a lot. You think that the, uh, as I called them while watching it again, uh, Eric Wareheim and Jack Black had a baby. <laughs> and you had this 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 uh this uh character of uh what was his name uh he's Paul 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 yeah that actor actually has gone on to better stuff like yes. a lot of good stuff like you know just a lot in general a lot of good stuff but at this time like I don't know what they were trying to I don't know I it, it like at first like completely unlikable and 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 that's the problem with movies like this they they tried. To do like the um, the bro humor, I guess is that like what you would say, like kind of broish, a little too much. So like, yeah, it okay. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't and, go. It doesn't go into places where would be really cringe. Like of you know when you get a little too you know a little too like racial or you know. Um, yeah. A little... there's 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 some homophobia there's a healthy no, dose of homophobia. that's the thing i was that was the, per, the second part the homophobia but it wasn't as bad as i thought it was gonna be for some reason i was like you know waiting for it to be like oh my god are you gonna go okay this is going for the the most basic homophobia which is really yeah, bad yeah. still yeah and that's that's a problem with a lot of these like just comedies in general it's like especially at that time like from like mm-hmm. 2005 to like 2000 like you know, 10, 11, that I just, I don't know. There's something about it that, like, it just go. I just go, hmm, okay, I'm kind of turned off now by, like, these, you know, especially, like, the the main guy, like, and even in your notes, like, just, just, just a loser, like, but he's, he's a loser, but he's not even, like, the biggest loser in the movie. Yeah, and <laughs> so the the character of Paul, the actor, is a guy by the name of uh, Barack Hardley, and yes, he ended up uh, going on to do some other better things: um, The Office, Master of None, um, Halt and Catch Fire, yeah, uh, t- Togetherness, like a lot of a lot of TV stuff, um, and actually was nominated for an award for a um, a genre award for a film festival for this film called The Mortuary Collection, which is on Shutter, oh, which yeah. we may have to it's good um, visit someday on this show. But yeah. Um, but of course, our, our two our two leads, um, Jeff played by Kyle Daniel, uh, Kyle Davis, and Charlie played by Devin McGinn. Um, I guess before we get too deep, let's let's step yeah. back a bit because um, I do want to start with um, this. This movie was not my cup of tea, but I do want to start with kind of the <laughs> things that I did enjoy about it. Yeah, uh, because I I tend to I especially tend to get a little harsh on this show, and um, I don't know if I'll necessarily avoid it on this one, but I did want to start with some of the things that I, that I, that I did at least enjoy. Um, and it begins with the premise. Um, the premise of course, is that, you know, Lovecraft was a real guy, um, who wrote about these creatures because he himself personally experienced them and set up a secret society to protect the world from their basically invasion or or taking over the world. Um, as is told in, you know, animated comic book pages, which are are actually kind of fun that, yeah. Cthulhu came down, um, you know, fought off the Shoggoths and was imprisoned in uh, Relay. Um, and he wants to rise again. And it is only the heir of Lovecraft who can stop it from happening. And of course, this heir is an aimless loser. Um, 
you know, and so I, I knew that was there were there was a cut that I knew was coming where you have these two old guys talking about how like, oh, only the heir of Lovecraft can stop it. And I'm thinking to myself, mm-hmm. this guy's going to be a loser, isn't it? And sure enough, cuts to this this guy working this dead end office job for squirrely delivery or whatever, like, you know, um, delivering yeah. tchotchkes or gift baskets or whatever it was. And just like, OK, that I, I knew that was coming, but I still appreciate that that's the direction we're going in. There's yeah. something to be said about um, a. <laughs> a well-executed um setup punchline or you know setup and payoff which like that we can appreciate that um yeah, yeah. and you know with it, it it you know it mimics the the journey of a lovecraftian protagonist you know someone who has a sense of you know an understanding of what he believes the world to be and it turns out no that is absolutely not the case yeah the world is actually incredibly different um you know uh i i appreciate too that they 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 take a crack at practical effects for yeah. the most part, yeah. you know? And, and yeah, I mean, this is, like I said, this is a slam dance movie. If you know, if you don't know anything about the slam dance film festival, it was set up in park city in opposition to everything that Sundance was supposed to be. Yes. So slam dance basically celebrates real indie, real low budget, mm-hmm. no budget kind of think, um, think John Cassavetes type type of like, you know, um, productions, but they, they do also kind of have a, a, um, a fondness for or an affinity for like genre stuff mm-hmm. um edgy kind of things the trauma productions were always a big presence at the slam dance film festival um so like that kind of stuff yeah. um and even that even with that they still do you know there's there's some real there's some real masks some real creature stuff i don't think any of it looks particularly good but they are trying and that is something that i appreciate mm-hmm. because nothing can take you out of a movie more than like oh those effects are bad are real bad we've seen it a few times so it's like ooh, <laughs> especially when it comes to like really bad digital effects it's like oh mm. don't like digital blood is oh no it's terrible biggest, yeah it's the worst every time it takes me out of any movie a movie would be great if there's digital blood i go oh really you mm-hmm. couldn't you just couldn't get some carrot syrup and some food coloring yeah not not everyone has fincher's budget or or you know um eye for detail right uh which is actually kind of funny because one of the few actual um, insightful IMDb trivia bits about this was that the the intestines at the beginning on the mm. boat were like were lamb or something like that, which is like, oh, that's interesting because I thought they were CGI because they looked so fake and bad. Right. Um, oh, my God. Wow. But anyway, um, but, you know, they, they certainly are are trying. You, you can tell no one's really it doesn't seem like anyone's half assing this film necessarily that that limitations are due to limitations of them as being able to execute certain things um you know and i mentioned the animated maps you know because it eventually it all sort of ties in like you know these two guys are trying to have been trying and struggling to or just the one guy i guess just um, right uh just charlie is is trying to write a comic book and of course he turns their adventures into a best-selling comic book um so their their journey is kind of um, interstitial by these comic book pages and that's really kind of fun and and then yeah. the, the animation kind of adds to the this lightheartedness for it and so that's kind of cool and even i even enjoyed some of the jokes um yeah, they weren't some, you know when, some landed decently you know yes some are like even if it's not even if they're not great it's just like oh, okay like you know they knock on paul's door he opens the door there's a pause they see him there with like a gas mask and they just reach in and they close, close the, the door. door that's funny <laughs> yeah. yeah they close the door on the guy that just opened the door for them <laughs> yes um always work you know i the the nana thing i thought was stupid but i just love how there's this old woman <laughs> every now and then just screams off camera fuck you fuck you out <laughs> <laughs> like that's all she does and then right. even uh gary the half fish guy 
Um, I, I like I like him. He's just slumped in an inflatable half filled pool in the back of an RV. Yes. Oh, what, um, what a life right it, there. Holy jeez. Yeah, and and because it, it also it just plays with this idea. I mean, you know, these these half breeds or people that have interbred with these uh, deep ones are always a a feature of Lovecraftian stories, and so this one plays that like yes. This was one of these guys, but he didn't want to be that. So he's trying really hard to fight against it. But now all he can do is just sit in a kiddie pool with his gills and just eat fish food. It's like a fun little subversion of that trope, which I, I really kind of appreciate. Uh, going back to that joke, like the running joke, just when he takes the fish food and just like puts it on the top of his <laughs> head. And like, yeah. like, okay, like it's so stupid. And, and really, that's what this is. This is a. It's like a really, really juvenile, like stupid comedy that you could tell the filmmakers, at least, you know, they know Lovecraft and they wanted, like, it wasn't like, let's just throw tentacles in this. There are tentacles, but it's not like actually as, as like abrasive as other films we've even watched where it's like, oh, okay, you're just throwing a tentacle in there just to be Lovecraft, Lovecraftian. This is like, okay. There, there, someone actually read some of the stories and the lore yeah. outside of when Lovecraft and stuff. But even the joke about how, like, wait, how did Lovecraft? Did Lovecraft had kids? So, like, how did he have like, you know, like like actual like you know people like ancestors? Like, what? That how? Yeah, I kinda it, like it shows that. it. It shows a knowledge of him as an author, him as a person. Because, like, yeah, Lovecraft famously. Uh, married for a very short time, had no offspring. Right. So that fact, the fact that you hear that is like, how do you even? How are you even alive? Did he even have kids? Is like, yeah, these these people know are in the know basically. So right. if you are a Lovecraft fan, <laughs> there's a lot of lore and stuff in here that you can really appreciate. I believe even, I may be wrong about this, but like the star spawn is not really a concept which is big in the fiction so much as it is in the RPG games, like the tabletop RPG games. Like the star spawn is like a regular, like oh. huge character in those things. Okay. So, so yeah, there you go. Um, so I, I, and I could be wrong about that. I, I, but I, I think it might be a concept in the fiction, but was one that really kind of took off on the, you know, the RPG games instead of like, Oh fuck the star spawn is here. Like now we're in trouble kind of a thing. Right. Um, in fact, the one time that I did play a, HP Lovecraft tabletop RPG game, the star spawn killed our entire party. Ah. So I, I speak from experience on that. Um, but yeah, clearly guys that are really into this stuff. Right. Um, having said all of that, I have a lot of problems with this movie. Um, a lot of it is really bad. And I think it starts with, to be honest with you, my, the, the, the most egregious thing to me, listen, I, I don't want to necessarily knock the, production of a low budget film. I mean, listen, these guys have made a feature film. I have not. Right. So kudos to them. So I don't want to necessarily knock like, Oh, it's this digital technology. Everything is shot so flat, even though you may call me hypocrite because I have criticized that specific element of movies on this before, but movies that tried to be very serious and take themselves seriously. So I don't want to necessarily get into that, but I think the, the biggest crime of this movie for me, and there are many crimes. Um, I just, I think, the humor is, and James, you yeah. mentioned it. I, yeah. you know, it's juvenile. Like it's not, it's, it's one thing to kind of try for jokes and then just have them not land. But it's another thing when those jokes are juvenile, lazy, and don't land because of how sort of tasteless they are. Like, yeah, yeah. there's, there's a good deal of homophobia in here, especially with that. What the hell is that? You know, the, the hotel guy. Oh, that, that, um, that whole what, like, 
that Jimbo. Yeah, that whole thing. It's like, what, where are we going with this? Like, like okay, I understand he's a creepy character, but it's just like, like so, so like hammered in. And then it's like, oh, but it's okay because he's he's also bad. Oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. makes it kind of worse. Actually, now you're making it like, oh, is it bad because he's part? You know, he's 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 you know friendly with the star, you know, you know Star Spawn or whatever. But or is it because he's gay? Like, what is his joke? Like, yeah, it, that was, that it, was it, bad. That was like a bad running joke. Like, ugh. It's a double whammy, too, because it's like you can tell the punchline is supposed to be he's gay and he's fat. Like, yes, uh, right. Uh, isn't it gross that this gay fat guy is going to try and hit on you and then, like, have sex with you in the middle of the night? Like, uh, okay, yeah, cool. Okay, thank you. Um, and And I think because it's tied in, a lot of the humor is tied into just, like, basically being mean in the sense of you know it, it you feel like all the characters don't like each other um you know yeah. paul our in, our introduction to paul is him screaming at his grandma and calling her a peanut butter whore and like yeah cool i i guess it's i guess there is a type of humor out there or a certain specific type of joke which is funny in which it's yelling at old innocent seemingly old innocent people um <laughs> 2009 maybe that would have been huge i i don't i don't find it super funny um but it, but it, like our, our introduction to these characters are basically they hate themselves they hate their lives and I, it, it seems like they hate each other as well yeah a lot and, of hate with the characters yeah yeah and that that's hard for me to like it's it's one of the biggest reasons that because i i when it started airing watched the big bang theory uh and one of the reasons i got out of it was just like it seems like all these people actually really don't like each other that's, that's any <laughs> any clips i've ever seen at a show i've never watched not even more than five minutes of an episode, and I'm, I've always thought the same thing. Like, so do they not like each other, but they're friends? Like, like, mm-hmm. are they making fun of this autistic guy? I think we like humor. I think, and again, I, I'll even admit, I like some, you know, juvenile esque humor. But it, there's something about like this is like you're trying to be, I guess you say edgy. Or like, yeah. like American Pie, yeah. like you know, was this big R-rated comedy. Then stuff like, you know, not many, not many years before this, Forty-Year-Old Virgin came out. Mm-hmm. So you had like, but the thing is, those were like made like to completely be like, oh, we're we're being funny. Like you know, does everything land still? No, but at the time, you know, you look back, this is almost like, well, we're making this genre film, but we also have to throw in this like R-rated comedy stuff. And it's like, there's a way to do that. And to me, someone like Stuart Gordon, Stuart Gordon got that with R-rated comedy where even if you're not the biggest fan, you can understand, okay, stuff, something like Cat Dead details later. It's (laughs) it's funny because like, what, what, who would write that? Let alone, Mm -hmm. you know, let me explain it. And stuff like that is, you know, it to me it still works. It's just so like, it's not it's not just juvenile. You you mentioned Stuart Gordon, and and I think what where the difference is is well, one Stuart Gordon had worked for such a long time by the time that he got True. to like he he had kind of he had honed that, but also yeah. in something like Reanimator, the humor almost kind of comes as as not just a relief for the darkness, but also as kind of a a a 
a key to the audience of like we realize how kind of ridiculous this story is right. like how silly it is so we're going to play with that a little bit so it, it's yeah. it's trying to you know there is the darkness and there's the horror but there's the the relief of the humor in it whereas this one i mean the humor here seems like the point yes like they were you know trying to you know like <laughs> it's you know like i i you get the sense that these two guys had watched so much mystery science theater 3000 mm. that they were kind of like, you know, we can make something which is going to be as funny and entertaining as that. Or like, or we can be as witty as those guys with our, with our quips and with our jokes and with our, yeah. our commenting on the material or our commenting on the film as the film is happening. And it just, it doesn't work. Cause it just feels like instead uh, an idea that a bunch of college kids had. And then like, I do actually wonder if they kind of look back on this 10 years later and like, Ooh, yeah, this hasn't aged super well because it's not as though, you know, it took off for these guys no. like that. I mean, no, no one, you know, no one really shot into superstardom because of this um, movie. So I, I do kind of wonder how how they might look back on specifically kind of the the dated humor and just think like, oh, this is a this is not really this is not really no, great. Exactly. Yeah. And again, the director Henry Sane. I think the only other movie he did was the the um action low budget action movie bounty killer which i've only seen the box for and i think that was another one at the time that uh we got a copy to review and after watching this i was like i no i'm not gonna watch anything else by this by this guy right now i mean and this is again this is back when james myself was very uh much more pretentious about movies like like you know the whole criterion world i was in even though i was Oh sure. You know, even yeah. though I was known as the the guy who liked the genre stuff, I still, you know, thought of myself, well, I'm I, I do like sophisticated stuff, so how could I like something like this, The Last Lovecraft? But again, <laughs> twelve years later, I still think to myself, could I you know, it, it maybe maybe this film is like them trying to make something like Trey Parker Matt Stone made before South Park. And like where it's very juvenile, but for some reason, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are very talented. Even they're something like Cannibal Music, which has like stupid jokes. It's still, it's still funny because they get what humor is, and we see we you know we see to this day with everything they've done, they understand like comedy beats, and there is a science to comedy. We're not knocking low budget because we've seen a lot of low budget. No, like you know. No, I'm I'm knocking lowest common yeah, denominator. There you go. Thank basically. you. That's that's what I was trying to think of how to explain it. It's very lowest common denominator where you're like, who was this movie? And again, who was this movie made for? That's also a thing you have to ask. Like sometimes where, you know, sometimes you watch a movie like something like Reanimator, you could tell they were trying to go for the gore and like the scares, and then the comedy yeah. also. Again, Stuart Gordon, like you said had been working for years in the theater. He he also gets he he got what what would make something like that work. He knew how to stage, so to speak, like certain scenes. This is almost like like a really bad episode of Workaholics. Or even like something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They go low sometimes. Well but the, the difference with yeah. that is those characters are not in on the joke that they are the despicable it's it's why seinfeld works like they're 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 assholes like they are but we almost (laughs) we always laugh at them but this movie is like almost like well we have to we have to side with these guys because if we don't 
we're all dead, right? Like, and and because the, there, there's just there's no sense of comedic timing, yes. um, or 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 like understanding of what makes a good joke because it just kind of seems like a lot of the jokes are Paul will say something and they'll scream, "Shut the fuck up!" Paul. Yeah. Like, okay, uh-huh. so, so I guess we're I I guess the joke there is Paul's an idiot, um, <laughs> but yeah, it and also in some and and just this idea that if like having a, a joke kind of dragged out or an awkward interaction dragged out a bit too long, like makes it funny, but like, no, it no, doesn't. It, really it sometimes work. works. I'm thinking of Mike judge and, and just thinking how, if Mike judge has taught us anything, it's that it's, you have to actually be really intelligent to write yeah, stupid. It's true. Like to write it, to write it well. I mean, like, Listen, I, I'm not the hugest Beavis and Butthead fan. I understand if you are also find them to be not humorous as, as well. But I'm, I am I always just think of a joke where the... It's kind of like their hippie guidance counselor kind of yeah. teacher is is yelling at... Not yelling at them, but like, you know, speaking to them. He's like, you know, we need to get to a point in our lives where we realize that we don't need TV to entertain us. And they start laughing. And he's like, did you hear anything I just said? And Butthead says, yeah, anus. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, that was yeah, that was right in there, wasn't it? And like, it's so stupid, but also just the wordplay and how it, like it's that's actually a really good joke. But they are also very stupid. Oh yeah, the stupidest um, people ever. But again, for some reason, like, like it's true. I think I think that is a part of it. Where like the stupidest stuff is usually written by the most intelligent people. Insulting, like having dumb people being insulted, is not. It that's not that's not funny that's not like that's those aren't jokes there and that and that's mostly what they rely on in this movie or you know especially like hey these two characters shouldn't be punching down on anyone because what do they well, no, and again and again they lives. find like you know like the one character they can who like again it seems like um paul is like supposed to be like autistic or like get it because he's a nerd but yeah it's just it's juvenile like lazy dumb humor um which is the biggest crime. The second biggest crime to me is once again, I don't want to knock anyone for having a low budget because you have a low budget. You still made out, you still went out to make a movie. That's really cool. Uh, This movie's an hour, 18 minutes. um, And the lack of budget really hurts the movie in the sense of it has sort of a lack of stakes in the sense of you got only two fishmen costumes. So it never feels like you're got a hordes of fishmen coming after you so much as it feels like there are two fishmen and one star spawn who are coming about to 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 destroy the world right. basically. Yeah, there's ways to do it and there's ways not to do it. Right, right. Yeah, and and it's not it, this is not one where it's like I'm critical of them. It's just like this this is where the budget makes this film kind of limited because it's hard to kind of feel like there is really sort of any threat and because it is so short everything just feels rushed and kind of matter of fact, like an old guy shows up at their house and like, Hey, by the way, you're the heir of Lovecraft and you need to save the world. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. And they just kind of go right. with it. And it's like, Oh, Hey, um, this captain Olaf guy who has never been mentioned before. He knows all about this. Okay. Makes sense. Let's go. And it just like, we just kind of move along and take everything at face value because we haven't spent enough time because there isn't the money to spend right. time on it. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, and, and, and that's that's less of a critic. And that is, like I said, less of a criticism of them and more just like it's a it is a hurdle for this movie. Right. For but me. again, again, there's I. OK, I'll, OK, I'll go. I'll go into an example of a movie that we watched that we really liked that ultimately wasn't a huge budget, 
but the stuff they did with the budget made it seem like it was big stakes, even though the, the setting was a smaller stakes movie, but ultimately was The Void. The Void, oh, yeah, yeah, practical effects, and you have some of the best people, but, but you can't say, oh, because they had some really talented people. Yeah, they're talented, and they know how to stretch that, that dime as much as possible to the point of like, oh my God, this movie must have cost five, at least five million. You go, like, no, it actually costs this much. You go, wow. And I was recently watching like it again and going, this movie just understands that even though it's a low budget and maybe even the story is very simple, you can do simple, but also make it seem like the end of the world can just happen. And it actually feels like a big movie, even though in The Void, there's only a few creatures. Of course, they look spectacular, but there are a few creatures. But again, they understand we got to do this in a small setting of, an, of an, uh, a hospital that's going to be abandoned. And you have a few characters that are like a lot of them are just the, the kills. And then one bad guy, like their star spawn, is the doctor who's like gone over to the dark side. And mm-hmm. they get it. And like you feel like, holy shit, if they don't stop this guy, they're, everything's going to end. This one, like, again, it just, maybe, you know, again, maybe because it feels like, like, like it's just a bad sitcom that was like, you know, like three episodes of bad sitcom, like, here's a three-parter for, uh, for our, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, guys. And it just happens to be a Lovecraft story mixed in. Well, and I mean, The Void was also, everything could be hidden in darkness. Um, This one, because they had no money, everything is shot Yes. brightly lit during the day so you, you just it's it's warts and all aesthetically yeah. and you know in terms of the the writing and everything um and and as i was kind of doing research on this i i realized now listen this is not this is not a critical darling on rotten tomatoes it's got a 37 percent um audience score no critic score at all but 37 percent, and yet a lot of the stuff that i found was articles about how it, it was premiering how it was getting picked up and we're writing about it in a fairly positive way. And I want to read one of those. And I'll link to this article in the show notes, obviously, from Pop Matters. It says, The Last Lovecraft is an ultra-geeky love poem to all things Lovecraft, as well as drive-in grade creature features. There's a frenetic glee to the characters running around, name-dropping the great old ones, the Mountains of Madness, and and the monster costumes, while cheesy and ridiculous, are also a perfect match for the absurdist script that is silly and strange, but still finds the time to be witty. This is a movie that is completely self-aware, but in a way that works without being obnoxious or narcissistic about how smart it thinks it is. And yeah, James, I just have to ask you, am I, am I missing something? Because you are a guy who has seen a lot of B movie, drive-in movie, trash movie kind of stuff. And when, when a movie, when a low budget movie comes out or, or there are, there are two kinds of like B grade Z grade drive-in kind of movies. There's there's the ones that have a lot of budget, which try to make it seem like a, right. they have a low budget, like you know, um, um, Death Proof yeah. or um, what's what's the Robert plan, Rodriguez plan, plan, pairing plan, of, terror, of that Grindhouse, Planet Terror. Yeah. That it's like, oh, we got a lot of money, but we're trying to make it seem like we don't have a right, whole lot right. of money, or th- or those that legitimately don't have a lot of money, where there is a charm to things kind of being right. tacky, but. What makes one good? Because like I'm looking at all this and like I I I disagree that it is witty. Right. I di- I disagree that the self awareness um works because like I I think like 
I, I don't know, like self-awareness in a way, especially in a low budget movie is almost kind of like a like hand wavy thing. Like, oh, you know, I, we know this is bad, but like, look, we're aware right. that it's bad. And I almost kind of feel like I, I'm not as, as, as much of a connoisseur of B movies, but like the charm for a B movie is not a self-awareness of how bad it is, but instead of like, it is bad, but we're pressing on no matter what because we believe I, I, in this look, thing. I, and I agree 100%. The, it's the self-awareness part that I think totally makes any movie that's trying to be a B-movie or trying to be a, a cult-like status ruins it right away for me because um, some, there, there's something about the, um, I guess you could say, the glee of like you thinking to yourself, like something like a Troll 2, which is not a good movie. Mm-hmm. But it's enjoyable, and there's a reason why it's enjoyable because they were being. I mean, I'm talking about like the filmmaker Claudio Fragasso thought he was making this intellectual, like horror film <laughs> where it's actually like the whole joke is like there's not even trolls, they're goblins. So like already there's there's a disconnect, but it's because it's so it's so pure, and that's what I think about. Like it's not it's not self-awareness because self-awareness if it was like oh if he if, if claudio fergazzo made a film like troll if he made a troll three but like oh i get the joke it would not be good because everyone yeah, yeah. is trying their best even the people that are acting in it that know know now that they were terrible in it they were going for their their all and something like i mean i can go days on end with about this like where i try to find films that match that kind of glee of something like a, like a samurai cop or a Miami connection or even something like something new like Birdemic or The Room they were made because they really thought they were making like this really good like intellectual or or even if it's a film that was being made for money like by producers that don't get like they just want to return on their value you know their their dollar and they get a filmmaker that goes, you know what? I'm going to use this as an excuse to make something ridiculous, but but again, yeah. it works. And that's why a lot of these like really fun, like B movies and driving stuff is like the 70s and 80s because people were you had both the drive-in from like you know the it, 60s into the 70s, and then you had the video boom of the 80s, and they had yeah. to make product. Yeah, yeah. So out of a hundred movies, you're going to get some. You're going to get some really good stuff. You're going to get some fun stuff. And you'll get some, like, Z-grade shit. And even sometimes that works in a sense where, you know, it'll be a movie that you just like, oh, we got we to gotta get a few beers and just riff on this. And there's nothing wrong with that either at, in, you know, in your home. Don't do it in a theater like some assholes do to, like, actually really good films I've been hearing. But it – and it is a hard thing with B-movies. Like – you have something like Samurai Cop, which is one of my favorite, like, what the hell? Like, this is a movie, like, and then they tried to replicate it years later, like 30 years later with Samurai Cop 2 and it's not good because they understood that, oh, it's fu- it's funny. No, you weren't making a funny film. Like, the original filmmaker wasn't making that. He was making, like, this badass action film about this hunky Samurai Cop who uses a sword once in a while and you have to, but, but because it's like almost like, like an alien is making it. I think that's why Hobo with a Shotgun See, didn't I, work you know what's for funny? me. I actually like Hobo with a Shotgun, but I haven't seen it 
since it came out, I, I now I kind of fear going back to it because of something like that. Where are you again? Right. They were, but again, like a lot of actually, like the guys that made The Void, they made a lot of films like Father's Day and The Editor, which were more comedic, but like they were trying to go for that 70s or 80s look. And The Void, that's that's The Void is a love letter to Carpenter and stuff like that from the 80s. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And it might not, like, sometimes it might work for some people and not for others. And it's not because you don't get the joke. Like, I know you've seen low-budget films like Hobo with a Shotgun. You understand what Eisner was going for, but does it work always? Yeah. It, it doesn't. Now, again, I have to rewatch that one. That's one I have not seen since the Blu-ray came out, which is, God, how long ago was that now? Jeez. And it's it's also why, um, or it's also how Tommy Wiseau lost me with the room, because I was never huge into yeah. the cult of it. But then once he was like, no, 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 I was always trying to make this bad movie. But, but, I'm like, but he's, but, fuck no, exactly. you, no, you he's a liar. And, and, but he understood. Wait, I'm gonna milk this now for the rest of my life, and and make money. Right, because if if you. When they, they stopped doing it, because Landmark, you know, the Landmark yeah. is now deceased in New York City, but when they would do the midnight screenings of The Room, I saw one with him where then he also premiered oh. the pilot of his TV yes. show, Neighbors. And it's, that was bad. it's bad. Like, it's it's not even fun bad. It's just objectively like, oh, this see, this is you trying to do what you said The Room was, and it's unwatchable. Well, it's, like, it's like, you know, but, uh, James Wan, who made, James Wen, who made, um, Birdemic, and it's like one of the most inept films ever. Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 just sad. But then he made two sequels to Birdemic, and and like the Oof. the second one at least tries to do something different. Like he tries to make it like a little. Mm -hmm. But then I've been hearing, and I watched a video about the third one that just came out. It looks, it it looks exactly like the first film, but like you can't now. It's like he gets it, but it's like no. That's not the joke. Like the joke was like, why you're padding out the time by like long driving scenes. That's how like a lot of low budget films would do that. Like hell, one of the most famous low budget bad films of all time, Manos, The Hands of Fate. It's just driving for like half the, the beginning. You're like, okay, where where is this film going? There's sometimes sometimes some some something with the making of a really bad film can work as enjoyment. And to me, does that make the film bad then? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, to me, the worst thing a film can be is boring. And and The Last Lovecraft, at yeah. a lot of points, is kind of boring. It's boring. And, and yeah, that's the thing is, like, you know, I might not love B-movies, but I think in order for it to have a charm, like, listen, oh, Ed Wood's stuff is bad, but, like, he, he believed, believed in, it. believed in it. it is. He believed in it. And you, you, you see the probably the joy he was having while making it, even though he was making... A piece of garbage but again is plan nine from out of space the worst film ever i will never say it is i will never say that's the worst film i've ever seen because i had fun the whole time like you know even without yeah, any riff on it yeah I, and i just have fun watching it because they're just going for the they're going for everything they're going you know even with the bad like you know cemetery and like the day for night shots and there's something about it like he was just trying to make a movie and he made it he made a movie yeah. back then, you know, like yeah. when, and, and he got Bela Lugosi, even though Bela Lugosi was really bad on heroin at the time. And maybe <laughs> that's why he made those decisions to 
make films with this guy, but oh. but undoubtedly, but <laughs> uh, yeah, and I and I so I think that's ultimately why this film ultimately fails is the self awareness. I think is supposed to yes. cover up for the fact that they are not that they are lacking in many other areas. And I don't think it makes up for it at all. I think, in fact, I think it draws attention to the fact that it's like, Oh, you didn't, you guys didn't have anything else going on though. You know, yes, they clearly do love, right. Lovecraft and this kind of stuff. Um, and of course the end sets it up for a sequel where yes, they saved the day. They stopped Cthulhu from rising again, but they are now, they are now this group of dead of men who are dedicated to stopping cosmic threats. So they end up I know, at the mountains like, of madness. And and movie and no sequels were made. I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, wow. I don't know if we need to spend um, much more time on this. Um, I, I do want to plug a few things that I meant to plug before we left or, or before, before we leave, I should say that I wanted to plug in the past and forgot, even though it's late in March now, um, Battleship Retention did all of its, you know, best of year of things. It did the, the BP awards. So I want to put links in a show notes to a bunch of those things, including selfishly my yep. top 10 of the year of 2022, but also um, the website, the writers overall including that is, you know, Rudy Obias, uh, our, yeah. you know, our mutual friend who, you know, so everyone who is part of the Battleship Retention network kind of all voted on what they thought was the, the best films of 2010, what they thought were the worst films of 2010, um, or 2010, sorry, 2022. Um, I had 10 in my mind because they're all well, top so 10 lists and those kind of stuff. So, uh, so time was made. <laughs> that's true. Yes. Um, and unlike our past, uh, our you know past months, yes. we have a plan for next month. We are going to um, step into the world of um, foreign HP Lovecraft adaptation and influences. Um, and we've got two doozies lined up for you. Next month, we are going to be doing Color Out of the Dark, yeah. which is an Italian adaptation of the color out of space. I believe that will make it the fourth adaptation of the color out of yes. space that we've done. Uh, we had Stanley's, we had Juan yes. Vu's and uh, the yeah. curse. Yeah. Um, I, I thought there was another one in there, but I, I don't think so. So this will be the fourth one. Um, it is directed by a guy named Ivan Zukan. Zukan, I'm sorry. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name who seems to be Italy's Lovecraft guy. Cause he also directed a version of that. Herbert West reanimator that I'm mm -hmm. sure we'll have to get to at some point. Um, the shunned house and something called unknown beyond, which is just like, you know, inspired by the works of Lovecraft. Um, I believe the shunned house is not available anywhere unless you want to buy a DVD copy of it, but this will not be the last time you'll be hearing his name on our show. And then uh, we'll be going to um, Spain for a Spanish horror film called yeah. Cthulhu mansion um, in which a, a group of drug dealing, petty criminals fleeing from the police, take a magician and his daughter hostage. But once they reach his mansion, all hell breaks loose. Um, directed by a guy named Juan Piquer Simon. Oh, um, one of my favorites. He he made um, oh, really? slugs. Yeah, yeah. No, I love this okay. director. He made slugs. slugs okay, is a really fun, a really fun low budget. And this film, um, I've seen, and not oh, because wow. of the pod, and not and not because of the podcast, because uh, Vinegar Syndrome did a <laughs> restoration of it. So it looks as good as it ever has, and. I won't say anything else for that. Like, you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just, just looking a little bit into this, um, uh, Juan Piquet Simone apparently yeah. directed exploitation pictures in Spain for 20 yeah. years yeah. Um, that they've been described as having a loopy Edward quality to them. Um, and actually his film extraterrestrial visitors yes. was spoofed on mystery science theater 3000. Yes, so. yes it was. Yes. It's that, that, yeah. I, 
I forgot he made that one. That's probably one of his worst films. But um, where's Cthulhu Mansion place? Well, we'll you'll find out when we cover it. You know, yeah, I'm, but, it'll be a fun one. You know? But I, I'm I'm excited for this. Um, yeah, so we are leaving um, uh, the 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 safety of our American um, adaptations and, and hopping over to Europe for some foreign uh, Lovecraft inspirations next month. So. Um, of course, you can always reach us by emailing us at moviesofmadness uh, at gmail.com. James is Wonka Kills Kids, and I am um, Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. We are Cast Cthulhu on Twitter as well. Or no, is it Cthulhu Cast? Doesn't matter. Just search for either Cat, one of them. Cast Cthulhu, right? Cast Cthulhu. So. That, makes, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, and then you can find uh, back episodes on all of our stuff at um, castofcthulhu.podbean.com or go to battleshipretention.com where you can leave comments on our stuff as well. Show notes for everything that we discussed, exterior articles will be, uh, or links to them will be in our show notes. Um, but thank you for joining us on this low-budget juvenile exploration uh, of the last Lovecraft Relic of Cthulhu. Be sure to tune in next time, where we'll be talking about Color Out of Dark. In the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia.